Hello, and welcome to the ECE Quality Ireland podcast. I'm Celine Govern. And I'm Paula Walsh. And today's podcast, um, myself and Celine are going to take a look at the key person approach in early childhood education and care. So we thought we would start with just having a look at what the Ashtar Shield to Practice Guide says about the key person approach. So they have a resource up on their website and it says here, a key person approach is used in many childhood settings to help children to form secure attachments and build close relationships with a key person. Using this approach means each child is assigned a named person who is primarily responsible for creating a close relationship with the baby, toddler or young child and their family. So that's sort of how Ashtar Shield defines it um, mm-hmm. in the Ashtar Shield practice guide, which is interesting because, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a one specific person per child or, you know, as, as yeah. we know, it works in practice, one person for, you know, a group mm-hmm. of children. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what it is, essentially. Yeah. Um, in practice, yeah. But what does it look like in practice? And I'd imagine that there'll be different... Mm. um ways that it's implemented and some and we know we did a poll on our on our um ec equality ireland twitter page twitter. This week. Mm-hmm. and that was that was split half and half people implementing the approach and not and i think it ended up that there was a, there, there wasn't a huge amount of people who but who who mm. who voted but i think it ended up about 60 40 60 yeah. people did implement and 40 didn't so mm. It's not required by regulations. It's no. about practice. Um, but we know that the DES inspectorate likes to see it. So I suppose yeah, what we're going to look at is does it actually work in practice? How does it work on our experiences? Yeah, and that's how it started with me. So I had um, I was one of the very early people to have a DES inspection back in 2000 and gosh 17 it was it was a long time ago as soon as they started we had a des inspection and they highlighted the fact that we weren't using a key person approach and that they felt that we should and that it would work well in our service so we did a little bit of research and you know whether we felt it was the right thing or the wrong thing to do i suppose when the when an inspectorate body tells you that you should do something you feel obliged to do it and you know you work with it thinking well you know I'm not sure about it but but it must be something that's going to work because they've recommended it and it must work for other Mm. people so we um are implementing a key person approach since about 2017 now just to say our setting in 2017 is is fundamentally different to our setting now so in 2017 we were a traditional preschool offering ECI and um you know we did it in the traditional sense that we were inside for a lot of the time and we went out we had traditional lunchtime and then up to 40 minutes outdoor play now we um have seamless transitions we have rolling lunch the door is open the children are on the go constantly nobody ever sits on a chair mm. um it's fundamentally different and i am beginning to question as we put the key person approach into action every year and we start to divide up the children which I have issues with um are we doing the right thing and is the key person approach still working and I'm not suggesting for one moment that we do away with this 
what I'm asking, I suppose, is it should it adapt in the same way as services are, are changing? So, you know, it needs to move forward, doesn't it? And the question is, how do we do that? So the Astra Shield, the guideline, um, they have a PDF file on the Astra, on, sorry, on the key person approach. And it's really good. So I think maybe if we go through what they indicate the role of the key person to be, that will help us then if we discuss, you know, what they view the role of, that will help us kind of, um, you know, understand it and see where we can go with it. Exactly. Yeah. And to see, is it, I suppose, you know, it's always really useful to, to take a critical eye to things, isn't it? And it's part of of best practice to reflect yeah. on things and how if they work and you know I'm not sure when this particular document up on the Asher Shield to practice guide was was published but I mean if we look back even at the key person approaches referenced in in Shield itself and that's going back yeah. to 2006 you know so you know we need to practice has moved on a lot since then so yeah it's always useful to take a critical reflective look at these things so mm-hmm. okay so let's take them one by one what Ashton Shield mm-hmm. practice guide says a key person approach includes okay so the first one it talks about being a familiar point of contact for parents and their families when the child starts in the setting and at daily arrival and departure times. Now, on the face of it, that seems to make sense. You know, the child mm-hmm. is um, being greeted by the same person each day, um, especially when you're thinking of the transitioning into a service um, for the child who's maybe never gone to a service before. And, you know, considering if you look at attachment theory and Bowlby and all mm-hmm. that stuff Bowlby, and us yeah. being the secondary attachment figure, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That maybe you know the rationale behind that is that the child's more likely to to engage in the environment and to settle in, I suppose, if there's a familiar yeah. person. Now that might work initially, you'd imagine, but on an ongoing basis, yeah. I know you have issues and you've found issues with this in your practice. Yeah. Yeah, so what we have found is that when we were operating a more traditional approach and you had one classroom. Um, you're in a much smaller confined space. And so let's say, for example, in a classroom of 22 preschoolers with three adults. So let's say they all have approximately seven children each. It was very easy in that environment for each child um, to come in. And actually, I think my staff, when I think back on it to 2017, each teacher kind of almost had a little table where their children went to for five minutes to say, good morning and how are you and, and all that. But of course, one of them was at the door. So her little table didn't have her at it because she was at the door for those 15 minutes. Mm. So there was a difficulty there immediately. Um, Also, you know, the daily greeting at the door. Yeah, that's that. So so that's problematic, let's say, with the child. But it's definitely problematic with meeting parents at the door. I don't think that that's feasible at all. And I'm not sure that that's even what they mean. But just if it is what they mean, you know, and well, and families, you know, as a starting point, it's not realistic. So for example, if you've got one person who does the door all the time and another child arrives, they can't really be calling the other educator and saying, you know, Mary, here's one of yours. It just doesn't work like that. It's not practical in that sense. Mm. So there's, there's an immediate issue there for me. Also, now that we've gone outdoors, the teachers could be half an acre away. 
Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. It's, it's just not realistic. Some kids come in the side door in straight into the outdoor garden as they can choose to do. And some of our children choose to come in the front building door of school, you know, because that's what they like to do. So mm. it's just too free flow and our, our transitions are too seamless. And there just isn't that um, structure to allow for that first one being a familiar point of contact at the door in the mornings at arrival and departure. That's not doable for me in my practice. Yeah. And you mentioned something important there, actually, you know, you spoke about, you know, the child having the sort of the right to come and the choice to go in through your, even gate for your, to your straight access into your yeah. outdoor area. And that brought me to thinking about, you know, the, the rights of the child and, and that, you know, as you say, if an educator is with another group of children outside, you're not going to go, you're wanted at the door, come on in yeah. and leave yeah. those children and prioritize the per- other person's, you know, yes. rights over the children's rights mm. that you were already with. So, you know, straight away, you're prioritizing one over the other and there's issues there yeah. Um, yeah. as well, you know. So, and at the, like, I can understand this point. But I don't think in practice, you know, as you say, the way things have changed and, you know, 15 years ago, everybody would have come in and sat down for circle time. That doesn't happen anymore. You know, not oh, really, no. you know, mm-hmm. so it's. Oh, God, say, say it doesn't. Say it doesn't. No, well, I'm ho- yeah, I hope so. But, you know, so if we're looking for that free flow and we know mm-hmm. Ashter wants free flow between the indoors and the mm-hmm. outdoors is such much, mm-hmm. much more of a movement and a focus towards the outdoors. So that kind of free flow children having the choice to get up and move around you know it doesn't really make sense you know um, it limits what the original um thinking behind it was mm. I think yeah 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 definitely it does yeah 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 and I, I think you know it probably just comes back to looking at positive interactions with all of the educators and the children, you know, they should be familiar with everybody, you know, they're, um, yeah. I, I'd say this one makes more of sense in relation to being a contact for the parents. I can understand that, like, you know, that when the child well, is dropping, when the parents I mean, dropping the child to... in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'll be honest, right? I'll be honest. I like to be the person this is maybe me micromanaging I don't know I like to be the parent the person who is the key contact with all of the parents Mm. yeah yeah um either me or my manager so my manager answers the door does the door every day and she really is that daily contact but if there's anything at all that she feels might be a little bit you know need a bit more in-depth conversation it comes to me yeah and and I as the provider, take it from there. And I find that the parents want to talk to me. Yeah. Want to speak to me. And I find, and this is a problem I had with this many years ago, and it really did shake me at the time, that I had a new member of staff, you know, a mature lady, actually older than myself, she's still with me now. And, but she was relatively new when all this um, started. And a parent privately messaged me and asked me, could their child be moved out, moved groups because they felt that their child needed a little bit extra and would do better with the more experienced educator. Mm. And there was a very subtle message being given there. Do you know what I mean? And I just thought to myself, 
these parents do not want to speak to anybody at the door except me or my manager. They don't, they don't want. But that's loaded with loads of other issues to do with the sector, isn't it? To do with respect, to do with professional acknowledgement and status and all that. That's loaded, isn't it? With loads of other things, you know? And I very quickly realized that that was just going to open a whole can of worms that I was going to have to deal with. Mm. And that the easiest and and the best way and the way that the parents wanted me to approach everything was the way I had always approached it, which was that I was the main, um, you know, port of call. I was the person who would contact them if there was an issue in school that day. They certainly didn't want somebody that they considered to be an educator Mm. saying it to them at the door. Yeah, they yeah, want to yeah, and you know, and it. I think you know now that I'm looking back at, at before you started that part of what you were saying, I was saying I can understand this one, but now I'm sort of the more I think about it, right? You know, mm-hmm. with all the other issues going on in the sector, you know, the staff attrition, turnover, retention, yeah. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense? You could have, if you implement that approach, you could have a different key person for the group of children three, four times during the year. So, you know, should yeah. it be, you know, with the, and, you know, like if we think back to when Shielta was published, there wouldn't have been the room leader kind of a exactly. thing. Like Shielta was published before there was even requirements for 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 um, qualification, you know. So maybe that one really needs to be looked at again. Maybe, you know, mm. the more that we start to focus on things in the sector like pedagogical leadership versus the sort of organizational leadership, you know, yes. maybe this kind of thing should be taken into account, you know, that the pedagogical leader, as in the room leader, maybe, and other people can can take that role yes. too, but that they might be the point of contact for parents. Um and the children should equally sort of have good relationships with all of the educators in the room. Yeah. And then when it's organizational um issues that the parent yes. needs a point of contact for then you're looking at the manager because the manager may or may not be the per- be a person in the room you know exactly another difficulty i'm just as I, i'm thinking as we're um talking another difficulty i had was and you see this with the aim educator um issue that we're going to discuss in another podcast <laughs> but you see it with that as well that then what you have is, first of all, not a full understanding maybe in all settings and amongst all educators about, you know, exactly what the role is. But my worry with it was, let's say if, if, if each of your educators has seven children in their little group, mm-hmm. you know, is there a fear that, you know, another teacher will say, oh God, they need help with something, uh, but they're not one of mine. Mm. And so they'll start calling and you see this with the aim educator as well, which I, the, the way that that's being dealt with in settings is dreadful. And we really need to talk about that as well. But you know, this idea that um, it's not my problem or not even that it's not my problem. I don't mean that they mean it in a negative way, but that I have enough to do. I will deal with my seven and I won't help that child because it's not mine. Mm. And they start calling the other person in. And then there's an exclusionary yeah, issue yeah. amongst the other providers sorry amongst the other educators is there or is that me overanalyzing um I can't say whether there is you know because I can only speak from my own experience but um 
you know, in my practice, when I, I, I left practice uh, management and practice at the end of 2020, and now, I, you know, as you know yourself now, yeah. I lecture whatever. Not that long ago. No, not that long ago. But so we wouldn't have strictly implemented the key person approach. But um, so, but I can understand why you have that concern where that could be an issue, you know. So, um, mm. Yeah, I could see that could be an issue and it's certainly something that needs to be thought about. And like if anybody, if people do find themselves doing that, then maybe it's something they need to reflect on because that's not really in the best interest of anybody, especially the children, you know, if they're being left waiting for for something, you know, um, or an interaction. And you know what, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right in what you said is that all of the relationships are important. So all Mm. of the children, you know, and, and the other thing, of course, is that, you know, we haven't spoken about personal preference. And, you know, a lot of children will gravitate naturally towards this. It happens every year, right? I mean, I have it now in after school. Every time I walk in, there's one gorgeous chap and um, he has just taken a liking to me. Now, we I had him in preschool and he didn't have the same liking for me then. But as an older child, I walk in, he's in under my arms, snuggling in, he's having the chats. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. in a in a key person approach, he would like to be in my group, I would imagine. But because you're yeah. setting up these groups in week one, there's no allowances being made for personal preference. Yeah. We're, again, and especially we're if telling you're... children what to do. Yeah, exactly. Like, so that's the thing with this as well, that we need to consider who... Is there equity there in who the key person approach is meeting the needs of now? I can know what the best will in the world. It was, you can see from the Astro Shield practice guide, how it talks about it, how Shield talks about it and how the earlier education inspection guidelines talk about it. That, Hmm. and even the two QRF, they talk about it, you know, as um, an example of forming and sustaining positive relationships is what it says in the QRF. So it's not regulation but they no, see it as no. best practice to help to form yeah. and sustain those positive relationships. However, you know, with some of the issues that we've just addressed, is it meeting the needs of the adult now more than the child? And like you say, like if you're assigning, if you, you know, in August, you know, you've got however many children coming in yeah. and you're trying to, you know, get everything set up and ready and prepared and you sort of divvy out for want of a better term, yeah. you know, for the key person approach and um, the groups of children, mm. you don't even know those children. Exactly. You know, you don't know you love children. met them, but you don't know them. So what know. happens you, then? Yeah. Like, is it like, you know, as you get to know them, so where's the child's voice and choice and preference, as you say, exactly. in this approach? And if, yeah, and if like me, you are running a 100% child-led service mm-hmm. and I am um, not reluctant. I am absolutely, you know, adverse to ever allowing adults led into that because we've worked so hard, you know, putting children into groups at the direction of the adults or picking them out of a hat. Mm. How is that child led and how do you justify that? Yeah, yeah. And they're obviously not, the key person approach those grouping that grouping that can happen 
doesn't make its way into practice in that, you know, they necessarily, well, we're doing these activities. So you do your group with your key person. You do your, you know, it's not that. But Although yeah. I have seen that. I have, have seen you? that. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And that mm. certainly isn't the intentionality behind what the key person approach is, is for that. To I have seen that, Paula, and I've seen that a lot as a result of COVID and the pods. Yeah, I could see how that might have happened, actually. Yeah. And yeah. people who, who put up walls and barriers and went from 22 to 2 to 11 to 1, mm. a lot of them haven't removed those and are still operating like that. So where you had one large classroom, you now have two smaller ones. And again, probably because it's more manageable for the adult, maybe, as opposed to it being driven by the Yeah, I mean, child. you know, I think it's a bit lonely and, and whatever. Now, I also know services who did that and hated it and have gone back to free flow and are delighted to be back at free flow. Um, and but, but some of their educators are struggling with transitioning back to child-led and free flow because, mm-hmm. as you say, they were more contained. Yeah. And... There's no doubt about it. A completely child-led free flow um, is a busy day. Yeah. It's a busy day, you know? So, it is, you it know- is. And it's not easy to implement that kind of no. um, practice with free flow because that would have been the kind of practice when I was in practice that we had mm. that free flow outdoors, very similar to your own, um, very much driven by child-led and, um, you know, freedom of choice and movement around the setting and it's hard work oh it is you know, it is hard work you know really, that, if you ever check your step count after three hours yeah. i tell you i can have ten thousand steps in but, with no difficulty i know i know in the morning in preschool yeah yeah but that I'm sort of brings me on to yeah oh, sorry yeah. you go ahead you're no, looking at the next one so the second one that that astro shields says my gosh can't we talk says getting to know each other's or sorry each child's interests preferences temperament Ways of communicating, verbal and nonverbal, emotional and physical needs, and responding to these sensitivities. That brings me back to the child and the adult's relationships naturally. Mm-hmm. And because you know what I mean? Some children get some adults, and some adults just get some kids better than others. And it's mm-hmm. not a criticism, it's the way we are and what we're attracted to and what we like. You know, what the child likes in, in an adult, you know, is it that you're like their parent or you're, you know, you, you, you talk their language or you behave in a way that they find comforting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, they're all very positive. I think that's really important. All of those things are really important. Yeah, they are. They absolutely are. However, you know, if you implement a strict key person approach, not strict, but if you're even implementing the key person approach, again, it comes back to what happens when an, an educator is out, when they leave, yeah. you know, um, that yeah. surely there should be, you know, all educators should have a fairly good idea of the children's interests, their preferences, their temperament, their ways of communicating, mm. I think. But again, that goes back to something we've mentioned before I'm sure is like do certain things put a barrier up to that you know to doing something different to the key person approach such as Mm -hmm. you know say do do the ratios do they allow for anything outside of that you know if we say well we don't want the key not that we don't want the key person approach but we're finding these issues and looking at other ways of doing it and maybe you know more holistically um, yeah. But do things like the ratios present a barrier to that, you know, in that 
if you have a room with 22 children and two staff, you know, yeah. and you're thinking, okay, the key person approach will divide them up. Yeah, um, 11 and 11. 11 and 11. But really, yeah. as you say, another child comes up and they take a particular liking to you or, you know, shouldn't you know that child's preferences, their temperament and their way of communicating? Shouldn't you be able to meet their emotional and physical needs just as equally as the other educator? Mm-hmm. But to be able to do that, you'd need more people in the room, <laughs> you know, at the same time. Yeah, and you see, this is it. I mean, if, just to go back to John Bowlby and the, his his stages of attachment, I, funnily enough, I was correcting an assignment this, this morning that somebody had written on attachment theory. Mm. So it's all fresh in my mind. And, you know, he um, states that by toddlerhood, by preschoolers, that, you know, children make firm attachments. You know, that's that's one of the stages of attach of attachment theory. So, mm. you know then we create this environment where children have made a particularly close attachment to one adult. And with the way that the sector is at the moment and people are moving around, what happens then if that person is off sick or has, or leaves? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, and they, depending on how it has been implemented, they may have created a really strong bond with just one person. Yeah. And like, you know, you could have a setting and I'm sure there'll be people listening who are saying, well, we implement the key person approach, but we all, of course, will meet the children's needs and we all know the children well. And then that begs the question, then what's the point of the key person approach? You know, and I know you're talking about Bowlby and attachment theory. We mentioned that a few times and, you know, you can see, you know, how it makes sense. Um, However, when we're looking at a more holistic approach to early childhood education and um, maybe we should be looking at the Bronfenbrenner, you know, style in yeah. that the child's at the center, they have these, you know, two-way relationships mm-hmm. um, with various sort of um, structures around them. Yeah. And the early childhood setting and the educators within it would be in the, I think it's the microsystem, is it not the first one? So the closest, um, the closest sort of section or the closest sort of um, community yes. to the child. So the family, the friends, their educational mm-hmm. setting, their mm-hmm. teachers, their mm-hmm. educators. So clearly, if you're looking at it through the lens of Bronfenbrenner, children can develop attachments and relationships mm-hmm. and positive relationships with numerous people. Numerous so why people. are we so focused on it being one person? Do you know, exactly. it should be everybody. It should be the whole setting. And then, then if you look at even other other standards shield to like you know the uh, community involvement and um um if, you, if you're looking at even at, at, at ashter as well the identity and belonging everybody should feel like they belong there and the importance of those positive relationships yeah. and interactions to reinforce that is it nearly contradicting a key person approach exactly yeah exactly i do know in in the early days in my setting um, each key group had a name, you know. Mm. So there were um, the apples and the robbers, and they rhymed with the the educator's first name, who I'm not going to, oh, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah. So you know, um, and the children did act. They they really. I'm one of you know so and so's apples. You know, they really did. Um, and I remember <laughs> it's very funny when it came to Christmas, you know, and you know the way the gifts come in. Mm. 
Um, and this is unique to preschools and primary schools. As a secondary school teacher, I have never gotten a gift at Christmas. I get a little note in a Christmas exam to say, sorry, I didn't get question six finished, but I never get <laughs> gifts, you know. Um, but <laughs> very quickly, it was adapted so that the, the, the educators were only getting gifts from their seven. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They're like, well... I don't know about this. <laughs> it was really <laughs> funny. That's just as a by side for a oh, bit of fun. Cool. That, that was funny. one of the, that was one of the, by the, you know, the, the un, what you call it? Unexpected, um, cons- unintended unexpected, consequences. Unintended, yeah. Thank you. The unintended <laughs> consequences. Very, very funny. Yeah. But I mean, so look at, you know, as we talk, I'm kind of saying the key the key person approach and originally when it was developed I'm now thinking was it actually developed with children in mind or with the educators in mind I think it was definitely developed with the children in mind okay but the unintended um, consequences but the, yes exactly talking about unintended consequences and yeah. they've probably become much more apparent as the sector has become more qualified Yes. Um, more academic yes. more, more knowledgeable um, mm. and you know that there we see things now through a completely different lens than we would have and yeah, yeah I think you know even looking back going back to the Ashton Shield document it talks about observing and assessing and recording the child's learning and development to plan new experiences you know, will we, do we really plan new experiences as such? Now it's a lot more, you know, in the moment, planning emergent interests mm-hmm. and even documenting and assessing. You know, there would have been when Ashtar originally sort of, I suppose, came about, there would have been a bigger focus on documenting, documenting, you know, to the nth degree. It's some people still yeah. doing that. Whereas now documenting, I think, could be has taken a broader sort of a meaning you know yeah. that again I think along with the with the sector becoming more skillful and knowledgeable yeah. um you know so documenting there's a lot of settings I know we would have done it too documenting through visually through photography and things like that yeah. um so I yeah definitely I think this really needs to be not abandoned but reflected upon in yeah. light of yeah. developments in yeah which is which is what we're practice. doing yeah, yeah which is what we're doing here and just yeah, to say yeah. that's one of the ones I wanted to speak about as well you know that that the key person would be responsible for observe, you know, observing and assessing and recording their 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 group's work and you know that's another kind of issue in a free flow situation so you know if for example I am responsible for my seven and I do their observations and I share them with their parents. Um, it means I can only observe them when they're doing something in front of me. Mm-hmm. But what if the best learning and the best interactions is taking place in front of my colleague and I'm not there? Yeah, That's being missed. Nobody is picking up the camera and going, oh, let me get this. I'll do that observation for mm. you. Because everybody is too focused on, well, I have to do my ob- observations for this group of children. So they mightn't be intentionally missing it or saying, well, I'm not doing it because it's not one of yeah. my children. But they're busy focusing on what they want to document about the children that they're a key person for. Yes. You know? And I mean, yeah. that was definitely happening in my setting where 
you know, you were responsible for your observations and you had to make sure you had X amount of done, you know, and then there was a deadline looming and all this kind of stuff going on. I am, and it's, but the difficulty is when something is um, implemented and it becomes the norm, trying to change and adapt that is difficult. So I am currently now in the process of saying, please, when you, you know, because we take, we're like, like you, we document my photographs all the time. So now, you know, my educators know and understand that regardless of whether it's a key child, if they have spotted something and snapped it in a photograph and, you know, spoke to the child and understand what was happening with the child and what the child was doing and saying and talking about, that they are the person regardless of the key person or the key child who does that, that observation. Yeah. Makes sense. You know? mm. Yeah. And and it, I see that's another, there's just another issue with it, I think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think this comes down to, you know, I think siloing anything is never great when it's a holistic approach that you want. And yes, holistic true. is the approach that we do want in early childhood education, because that's what yeah. helps us to keep the child at the center. Yes. Um, whereas siloing these things and putting them into little boxes doesn't help with that and yes. you know so there I I feel there needs to be a lot more focus on you know as you say documenting being driven by the children and the actions yes. of us educators yeah. being driven by what they do who happens to be observing them at the time as you say yeah. they document it and then we need to come together as a team and reflect and look at it and chat and share and interact and collaborate together, mm-hmm. which I suppose probably has its own difficulties because when are we able to do that? What time do you have available? With, you know, the paid mm-hmm. and unpaid time, all that stuff. So there's other, I think it's like everything in in, in this sector. It's mm-hmm. all so interconnected and interrelated yeah. uh, with knock on yeah. effects from one thing to the other. We know what best practice looks like, but there are barriers in our way, isn't there? You know, it seems at every turn sometimes to be implementing the way we want to. So I suppose then the question is, (laughs) now that we've torn that apart, (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm quite, God, I need to think about this. You know, how do we feel about the key person approach? Like, like, do I continue implementing? I don't think I, I don't think, well, I mean, first of all, we've let go of most of it already, mm-hmm. but where do I go from here? Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because even though it's not regulation, I mean, the earlier education inspection guidelines were only updated this year in June, and they still talk about under area two quality of processes to, to support children's learning and development outcome two relationships and responsive respectful and are responsive respectful and reciprocal and that mentions four times the key person approach you know uh, in line with best practice to nurture relationships consistency um acting as an important link between the parents and the families and um building strong positive relationships but you know i think we need just debunked all of that yeah i to be honest, the more that we're talking about and looking at it, I'm thinking, actually, is it just, okay, I know the intention behind it is for the children, 
but the implementation of it, I think, is for the it, 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 the way it's 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 described, its implementation, yeah. um, in by Ashter, by the DES, yeah. by uh, you know, in all of that sort of documentation, is driven mm. by the needs of the adult. In other words, I suppose what I'm saying is that it's the easy way. Yes, and I I wonder when it was um, started to be flagged as best practice and when it was decided that the DES on inspections would, you know, would recommend it. I, I do wonder at, you know, the real reasons for it. And I do wonder, was that at a time when, as you say, the sector wasn't as experienced, we certainly weren't as degree led, we weren't willing to question as much. And so was there a belief that, um, that the adults needed more guidance in order to give the children what was best for them? Yeah, yeah. I wonder, was there, like, has somebody, and I suppose I probably know the answer, like who consulted or was there a consultation process with educators in the sector about how something like this, which, you know, the inspection frameworks the best practice guidelines are all saying they want mm. I don't know, know was the there a consultation process there to see well does it actually work does it actually tie in as we've been pointing out with current professional I'm not aware of a, of a consultation um to reflect on it and to see does it work I'm not aware of one um and I'd normally be fairly up yeah. to date with things but but thing you know what these things happen without people necessarily yeah being aware yeah. of it you know I know we're coming to the end of our time here now so um you know I that think like with anything I think you know yeah. that as we become more professional you know I think it probably underpins the importance of that degree-led um, sector yeah. because I think if you can stand over mm-hmm. in line with you know your um, your academic sort of understanding of things your uh, best practice and if you can you know stand over it and say well this is how we are implementing best practice it might be the key person approach but we're doing this 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 and this you know I think that's probably what's what's most important you know to conclude then you know, what are your final thoughts in relation to it? You're still in practice at the moment as well. So what do you think? Yeah, um, I suppose I think we are, like everything else, I'm in a stage of transition with this as well. I'm obviously reflecting on it quite a lot. I'm not entirely happy with what's going on in practice. And I think it's really important that when you recognise you're not happy with something that you... um, you know, you discuss it with your community of practice and that you you reflect on why that is. And it's obviously because something is not working. It's not working. So I think, you know, am I going to do away with it? I don't know. Am I going to change it? Absolutely. But I, I'm not ready to do anything radical just yet. I think I need to um, I need to speak to more people and just see how they're how they're working with it but all I can say is it's not working for me yeah in the way that it's sort of laid out you know initially and I think and I that think... might be the key Paula yeah it's mm. in the way that it's it's laid out that it should do that's yeah. the way it's not working for me yeah yeah and I think I'd be in agreement with you in that I think it's probably 
something that I wouldn't like to see done away with, but I would like mm. to see it amended and evolve and like to see it evolve to reflect, you know, best practice now and, you know, that yes. more holistic approach and, you know, positive interactions and relationships with the children and all of the educators in the setting as a community, you know, um, I think it would better link into and reflect all the other shield standards and and um if it was like that you know and that it would be better yeah. for children for the children really um which is i suppose is always the the most important thing yeah um, totally. so we certainly trashed that one out. i think it's something yeah and i think it's something that maybe we'll come back on in a mm. year yeah, yeah um to to see you know did we learn anything? Have we made any changes? Have there been improvements? You yeah, know, and as um, Ashter, we know has been updated. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any sort of any new yeah, sort of updates yeah, yeah. there as well. You know, so um, so mm-hmm. I think we're ready to leave it there. We've sort of trashed that one out enough. So thank you for everybody who's listening. And this is the ECE Quality Ireland podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Acast and Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and probably wherever else you get your podcasts. So, um, you know, we'd love you to share, share it around if you like what we're doing. Um, you know, you can comment with your, your own thoughts or what you do in practice. Um, and, you know, give us a like, give us a share and... Um, and help us to grow a little bit. So thank you very much until next time.